Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. What's up, Enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, LZ, the mayor. Now let's get to it. All right, Enterprisers, when I say I am super excited to have this next conversation. I mean it. Before I hit record, I was buttering Liz up a little bit and telling her how much I was looking forward to this. But it was honestly the truth. As an entrepreneur, a business owner, sales is critical. And a lot of times we're just hacking it, (laughs) myself included. We don't know what we're doing. We're passionate about what we do. And so it just becomes a consequence, a thing that we have to do. But Liz is an expert at, at sales and the different methodologies of sales. And Liz, thank you so much for joining us on the Enterprise Now show. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. But before we get into the good stuff, like we're, we're going to change some businesses with this conversation. I, I fully believe that before we get into all the good stuff, can I get a Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So before we hit record, you can, you kind of gave me some some insight as to your your background and upbringing in the world of sales. But give us a two minute version. How did you get into sales and, and, and then tell us a little bit about the, the business that you're running today? So like many people who are involved in sales, it was never my intention to be involved in sales. So my dad had a sales consulting company, which I'll, I'll talk about later, maybe. But so I grew up around it. But my dream was to do international negotiations, like I wanted to work for the government. So I went to school, got my degrees in Japanese, international relations, international political economy for my graduate degrees. And so that was the path I was taking. And then this thing happened when my dad called and said, hey, are you done fooling around with that dissertation? Because we need you to come help at the company. And so I became the director of Asia Pacific for Miller Hyman. Now, I had worked for the company many years, probably since I was 13 on and off. So I was very familiar with the company, with the programs, with the language, and but I knew Asia. So they asked me to step in and work on developing the Asia-Pacific region, which we did. We took it from a negative $200,000 a year, the next year to a positive $200,000, the next year to $500,000, and we're on track for a million the next year. So we grew it really, well, not a million, yeah, the next year. So we grew it really quickly. But I had all this infrastructure around me. But what I learned in that process was, or in that, is process. Systems, process, repeatability, right? And so it wasn't, I didn't just haphazardly throw things out and see what stuck. I had, I learned that there was a process to everything, including managing a sales team. So that's how I got into what 
I do now. And I am a sales consultant. I specifically help companies that are either funded, recently funded, startups that are funded, or companies that are existing companies who are in a startup mode. So some of them tell me I've been around 30 years and now I'm a startup again. So, and I help them build their sales operations or their sales operating system, as I call it. Got it. Did you buck being involved in your dad's business? Because I'll tell you, my, my daughter, she's 15. And she has the opportunity to work with the company, but she just doesn't want to. So I, I may have to get some advice from your dad on how to patiently woo the, your child into, into the family business. <laughs> well, it's, it's easy to do if you pay them enough. Got it. That's a really good incentive to think about. Got it. You know, where should I be spending my time? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a, lo- a little bit about operations. You, t- you talked a little bit about managing a sales team. I heard some taking advantage of opportunity in there as well. But what I'd like to get is your your point of view on sales in general. Like, how do you look at sales? Because some entrepreneurs are are doing sales just because they kind of have to in order to keep the lights on. But what's your perspective on sales and how should we be looking at it differently? The first thing is that everybody sells. There is no one in a company who is not part of the sales organization. And if you don't create that culture from the very, very beginning, you have a problem. So if somebody comes to your site and it's not clean, then the janitor didn't do their part of the sales process, right? If if you've got a $5 million sale happening and the accounting person calls and makes everybody mad about a $50 bill, you don't understand your role in the sales process, right? So we all, we all are part of the sales process. The company does not exist without sales. And so what, what I say is, you know, we tend to take sales and think that it's out on an island all by itself. And over there, they should make magic happen. But I think about it this way. You know, your sales team is the heart of your business. And everybody says, oh, no, no, my product is the heart of my business. Well, it may be the soul of your business, but it is not the heart because it is the sales team that pumps the lifeblood through your organization and keeps it going because without that heart pumping, there's no company. So, and if you think about it, you know, your heart isn't in your pinky because if it were in your pinky, it couldn't pump lifeblood through your body. It's in the center of your body for a reason, because it needs to be there. And your sales team is the center of your business because it's all about the customer. And your sales team is the first team that really touches your customer directly. Marketing may influence them, but sales team touches them. So without that lifeblood, there is no business. So that's my first philosophy about sales. So if you are A business owner, an entrepreneur, a CEO, you are never able to step away from the sales process. You are part of it. You drive it. You influence it. You set the parameters. You set the philosophy. You set the goals. You're part of the sales organization. So, And and as far as being an entrepreneur and starting up, you have to sell it first. You have to understand what it takes to sell what you are selling. And you can talk to any investor, any successful founder. They will all tell you the same thing. If you cannot sell it, no one can. I a thousand percent agree with you. In my business, I've done every job in my business. You know, you can't come to me and tell me that it takes X amount of time to to edit a podcast. 
I've edited thousands of them. I know how, how long it should take. So that that's really good stuff. What what is like a, a specific application? You mentioned creating a sales culture to begin to take steps in that direction to create that culture in, in a company. Because as you said, sometimes you know operations they don't really get the the memo from sales and sometimes you know sales and marketing are at odds because marketing is making the promise but sales has to close the, the deal and sometimes there's not alignment so what are maybe the first steps that people can take to begin to create a, a culture of sales okay so you're not going to believe this but sales strategy starts with your strategic plan so if you do not know who you are as a company why you exist, what your values are, who your ideal customer is, how you're positioned in the marketplace, what your value proposition is, your sales team is going to flounder and everybody around them is going to flounder. So the reason companies have a mission and a vision and values is because it gives us rallying points. Everybody in the company can say, whoa, that's off mission or whoa, that's not our values, right? So when companies say we're customer first and then when a customer has a problem and people act you know, awful toward the, their customers, you're not customer first. You didn't mean that. You just wrote those words on a page. Are you really customer first? Are you really about happy customers? Then you wouldn't have sold that to somebody who couldn't use it successfully, right? So you you create the values and then you start adding on. And one of the things that happens that disrupts this is we hire people in sales who don't fit our company culture. And that's the first disruptor. Oh, salespeople are pushy. Salespeople are all big talkers. Salespeople are, you know, whatever, manipulative. Manipulative. And so we're going to hire people like that. Go, go, go. Fight, fight, fight. Win, win, win. Right? That's what we're going to hire for our salespeople. But our company vision and value is making the world a better place by putting people first, safety and caring about people. Right? Those two things don't go together. So if you hire salespeople that don't believe your mission, and by the way, you don't have to be fight, fight, fight to be a salesperson. You can be caring and compassionate and curious and kind and be a very successful salesperson. So why would you start by hiring somebody who doesn't fit your vision and then and your values? And then the second thing is if everybody in the company understands where you're going, why, what the rules are, how you get there, guess what? We can all follow the same path. So, so really, if you want to get everybody on board and get sales to be the culture around sales, then you have to really be sure, what does your customer me- really mean to you? What do you really need for them? What do they really need from you? And then we build a culture around that. So let's say hypothetically, I'm listening to this show and I made those mistakes and my salespeople don't fit the culture and my accountant, they don't really understand that they are a part of sales as well. How can I begin to restore or get back to center where sales is the heart of of the organization? So I think a really good time to start and rethink your strategy, do a strategic planning session, even if you just do it in your own team, get a book and follow it or hire somebody is, you know, start from the beginning, back up and go, hey, all right, you guys, what really are our values? What what really is our role with our customer? How do we solve problems? So if my, my, my values are creativity and compassion and curiosity, then when a customer calls with a problem, then my first thing is to be compassionate. And my second thing is to be curious. Tell me about what happened. And then my third thing is to be creative and to figure out how can we solve this? So those are my, those are actually my values for my company. 
But if those are the values that you have, now put them in place. Now, when I'm hiring, if the people I've hired don't fit that and don't want to put creativity and curiosity and compassion first, then they get to go. Bye-bye. We'll find new people. There's lots of people out there who want jobs, who are creative and compassionate and curious or whatever your values are, team-oriented, customer-focused, whatever those are. If people don't want to play by the rules, if they don't want to be part of your vision and your mission and your values, they don't belong there. So start finding people who are and then, you know, let those people who don't want to do it go away. They will if you start pushing the rules and they don't fit, they'll go away. Yeah, I had a job once and my manager, we, we used to do what they called at the time reach goals. And, and it was different. I had never done done that before. And she said, we had five of them. And she said, Elsie, I'll let you come up with four of them, but I'm going to give you this one. And it's going to be have a can-do attitude. And when she first said it, I'm like, what does that even mean? (laughs) But as she explained it to me and began to practice it, it really resonated with me to to the point where now, you know, running my own company, it's one of our values. You you have to have a can-do attitude, which simply means, you're always thinking of what can I do? You may not be able to do everything, right, that the customer is asking or things like that, but there's always something you can do. There's always a way to to get closer to, to, to center. Is that one of the things that your company helps with when you're working with, with clients is figuring out, okay, let's level set. Where are you? Do you have a strategic plan? Is, is that sort of where, where you guys start? Often I start there and I don't call it a strategic plan anymore. I call it a sales positioning framework because everybody tells me I have a strategic plan or marketing made my strategic plan. And I'm like, okay, then let's back up. Let's do a sales positioning framework and just make sure we really have these things in place. So your sales team knows what to do. So I do, I start with that, your vision, value, mission, and then your ideal customer, which is huge as an entrepreneur, as a startup, as a founder, your ideal customer, defining that is one of the most important things you can do because you can get lost in that I can do this for everybody, but everybody needs something just a little different. So unless you have a business to consumer and your Coca-Cola, you can't do it for everybody. And in fact, I always say, I don't drink Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola may sell to everybody, but they don't sell to me, except they're Dasani water when I'm in an airport, right? So You know, who is your ideal customer? How do you build your company around your ideal customer? How do you build your messaging around your ideal customer? How do you make sure you're selling to your ideal customer? I have a lot of companies that I work with that are creating software and they have these long lists of things they have to add and do. And I'm like, well, how many of your customers really want that? Is that your ideal customer? Because if it's not, then don't do that. Do this one, which 17 people want, and it's your ideal customer in the direction you're going, right? So that it's really important, not just for your sales team, but like you said, for the entire organization. Who are we selling to? What are they like? How do we help them? Your messaging, then, then marketing and sales begin to align around who's an ideal customer, what's a qualified lead, right? All of these things start to fit together. So that is where I start. And value proposition, which is really important. And I do value proposition. My friend, Lisa Dennis, who teaches value proposition, taught me this. But I do, what's your, this is your value proposition. Your customer's problem, in their words, how you solve it, and why you are the best solution for your ideal customer. Doesn't start with my product. Doesn't start with what I do. 
starts with my customer. And that is part of how you get the sales at the heart of your business because your customers are at the heart of your business and their problems are at the heart of your business. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to be said about vision, mission, and focus, right? When you really do those three things well, you set your entire team up for success. You mentioned framework. Before we hit record, you rattle off some sales methodologies and transparently, I had no idea what you were talking, you were talking about. It went right over my head, but I'm sure I'm not alone. There are entrepreneurs everywhere that they just do it and they don't really understand the framework. So if you don't mind, talk a little bit about the different frameworks. And I know you're a bit partial to one of them, but what are they and sort of some advantages of each? Let me just define a couple, I use words really specifically. So when I talk about a framework, I'm talking about the guide rails that your company functions within. So we have a communication framework. These are the rules around what we say to which people about what, right? They're the framework. When we have an ideal customer, that's a framework we work within. So when I use the framework, the word framework, that's what I'm talking about is building the guide rails in your company. So what we were talking about earlier is this idea of methodology. So in sales, the term methodology has a very specific meaning. So uh, in in sales, there are a whole bunch of companies that have created methodologies, and you may have heard of some of them. Sandler is one of them. The Challenger sale is one of them. There's a new one called Medic. I don't know how new it is, but that's kind of a a methodology. I come out of the world of Miller-Hyman. So Miller-Hyman created programs called Strategic Selling, Conceptual Selling, and Large Account Management. And that was really the early days of creating methodology or process around sales. So solution selling was also happening at the same time. And spin selling was also created about the same time. These are also methodologies. And these are the very beginning of, hey, there's a process that you follow to do this. Now, solution selling was really focused on making sure that you're not selling a product, but you're really talking to the customer about solutions to problems. And spin selling was really about how do you ask and deliver, ask questions and deliver answers, right? So it was a a rolling sort of process. But Miller-Hyman created a, okay, you have a complex selling situation with a lot of people involved. You need a strategy to understand what everybody needs and wants and what their relationship to the problem is and what they're worried about. And then you need to have a process for planning a sales call with each individual buyer. So I, I love this methodology, and this is what we were talking about before. I'm very biased, so my last name is Hyman. Strategic Selling was written by Bob Miller and Steve Hyman, and Steve Hyman is my dad. So I literally grew up in this idea of methodology and structure and process in sales. It's not magic. It is not magic. There are no secrets. So if anybody tells you the secrets, there are no secrets, there's no magic, there's a process to follow. There are things that have to happen that make sales go forward. So that's why I love that methodology. Very, very cool. So talk a little bit about the sales operating system. When I went to your website, I thought this is fantastic. And this is the moment we have all been waiting for. (laughs) Tell us about the sales operating system. Okay, so so let's go back to this idea of magic. So what happens is founders or, or entrepreneurs, however you want to, whatever you want to call them, they start a business and they're like, okay, now I need sales. I'm going to go find a salesperson and magically sales are going to start falling from the sky, right? We're going to have all this magic happen. And they don't know anything about hiring a salesperson, managing a salesperson, telling a salesperson what to do. So we have to back up. What happens is... Um, is sales becomes this sort of black box. 
So other people start doing it. And so marketing is throwing leads. People are having relationships and throwing leads into the top of this box and churn it all up. Something happens and voila, something falls out the bottom. But nobody knows how or why or how to repeat it or why it didn't come through when we thought it was good. There's nothing there. It's just like this chaos, right? So so what we want to do is prevent sales from being utter chaos, from being unmanageable and unpredictable. And the way we do this is we set up what I call a sales operating system. And it starts with you have to have strategies. So this is that business strategy, right? Your strategic plan or your sales positioning framework. You also pull a sales number out of thin air. This is our goal this year. Go. I call it wagging. Like, you know, you're, it, it's, you're, it's a wild ass guess, right? But you're wagging your whole team because you're just like, here, go. There's no plan. You haven't said we're going to sell this much of this product. This is the business we want to go after. This is the size business we want to go after. This is the ideals of the businesses we want to go after. You know, John, you're going to sell this much. And Larry, you're going to sell this much. And we're going to do this combination of products. And by the way, if we're going to close this many deals, we have to have this many that we're working on and this many that we're qualifying and this many that we're you know, going after and marketing has to deliver this many, right? This is all numbers. So you build your strategy around the numbers that get you where you want to go. And then you have to start thinking about, well, and then you need a lead generation strategy. Okay, this is going to be really shocking to everyone I know, but leads do not come out of thin air. They are not like, uh, you know, combustion from nothing they they actually have to nope. come from somewhere <laughs> so either your marketing team has to generate them or your sales team has to go out to events or you have to call people somewhere these leads have you and you and you need a plan you need a strategy what activities are we going to do and what results do we need in order to pay for those activities right so there's a strategy so wait so you mean you don't just hang up your shingle and then the leads just come if you build it they will not come it's not the way it works if you have a party and you don't invite anyone you will have a fabulous dinner by yourself right it, yeah no it doesn't just happen and so then the next part of it is okay now i've got all this strategy now i've got to implement it what is the sales process what happens at the different stages what things are needed by the salespeople to accomplish what they're doing um how do we get into a key into these large accounts, these complex sales? What's our process, our strategy for doing that? How do we grow key accounts? You, everybody has a couple of accounts that are super important or other accounts that could be growing, but without real focus, they don't grow. They just sit there and you leave millions of dollars on the table. So, you know, we need process and, and systems for all of that. And then we need to think about how do we manage the sales team? Okay, you don't get in a room and huddle and go, what's going to close today? What's going to close this week? What's going to close this month? Okay, okay, okay. Tell me what's closing. Everybody tell me what's... That is not a sales meeting. That is a cheerleading event. It, and it isn't even a good one, right? So what do we want to do? Well, we want to have an agenda for our sales meeting that includes training and updating and teamwork and solving problems and talking about things that aren't working. We want to have a team meeting that helps our sales team get better. We want to have individual sessions called funnel reviews, where we actually sit with our team and go through the entire sales, their entire funnel from prospecting to close, not just what's closing this week. 
we want to have individual meetings where we coach them on the, their weaknesses and help them help them get to be better salespeople. So we tend to go from what are we selling now to you're fired, right? With nothing in between. <laughs> That's not management. So, and then we need assessment. We need to look at all of the processes and all the ways that we do things. And we need to assess our funnel and the leads that are coming in and how quickly they're coming in and with the velocity that they go through the funnel and all those kinds of things. That's what a sales operating system is. It's actually putting methodology systems and process around all that stuff that nobody understands. Got it. So I'm assuming it's important that as we talked about earlier, that everybody's on the same page. And that's why, you know, a lot of times the starting place is that strategy, that mission vision, right? So everybody's marched in the same direction. What are, are some of the things that you've seen are, if you had to, to rank them, the top three mistakes that you see your clients making that you guys help solve? Wow. Okay. The top three. I think one of the top ones is if you have a CRM, you've probably set it up wrong. And you, so a CRM is a customer relationship management system like Sugar or Salesforce or Pipedrive or Zoho. There's a zillion of them. Copper. That's the system that you put all the information in that you manage about your clients. And you think that that's going to give you data about what's happening in your company. Well, if it's not set up properly, it doesn't give you accurate data. And if it's not set up so the salespeople can use it, they don't use it. So everything that's in there becomes a mess and it's not really helpful. So that's one of the first things if you're going, one, you have to track sales, whether you do it in a spreadsheet or in a CRM, but you have to track it in a way that's systematic and organized and manageable and you can understand what leads are coming from where what's going to close and when because if you don't know that you can't run your business all right so what's number two i I think number two we already talked about it's hiring the wrong people for the wrong job right so if you have a sales organization if you start hiring and you're not really clear what skills what experience what relationships what knowledge your salespeople need to have you're going to have a problem sales it's like saying i'm going to hire an engineer anyone will do well, do you need a civil engineer or an electrical engineer, right? Because they're really different and you're not going to hire an electrical engineer to build a bridge. Well, you're not going to hire a salesperson who's really good at growing key accounts to close deals every day, to go out and get new business, to prospect. You're not going to hire. This is one of the biggest ones I see. If you sell through a channel, so if you somebody, you sell to somebody and they sell your product, we hire salespeople to manage nope, that. That won't turn okay. out well. Most salespeople don't know how to do that. You need to hire a channel salesperson who knows how to manage a channel. It's a different thing. So sales is not sales. It's not not sales is sales is sales. Hire anybody, anybody is not how it works. You really need to understand the job and the expectations and hire the right people. And I think the third one is thinking that closing business is is more important than people right? We get so focused on what's closing. We start thinking, well, we can push them to close earlier. We can, we can manipulate them. We can force them. We can cajole them. We can, you know, no, fill the top of your funnel all of the time. So that business that isn't closing, you can either be patient with or walk away from. You will always be upset and hammering your clients and making deals and selling it cheaper because you don't have enough in the top of your funnel. You don't have enough coming in to keep things going so that you can walk away from business that isn't good. And, and I think it's a huge mistake. The top of your funnel is as important as the bottom. Mm, I love that. One thing that we, ha- we haven't really covered a lot, talk a little bit about how important relationship is in, in the sales process. 
So there's a, there's a big trend out in the world of sales that relationship selling is dead. Your customers are 67% through the sales process before they ever talk to you. That relationships don't matter. I, I, I don't believe that. Yes, if, if I'm buying software online and I don't have, I can look at three different choices and I can make a decision and download it, fine. But if I'm buying something that is going to change the way my organization functions, that is a big investment that, that impacts a lot of different people, then relationship is everything. And when people are taking a risk, they need to trust the people who are selling to them. So relationships do matter in a complex business-to-business sale or even in a personal sale. I can buy insurance from anybody. Why am I going to buy it from you? I have to like you and trust you and know you and know that you're going to take care of me or I'm, I'm going to go buy from somebody else if I don't believe that about you. People still buy from people they trust. And if you're not trustable, you're, if you hire salespeople that are trustable, people are going to buy from you. So relationship selling is not dead, but it has changed because people do a tremendous amount of research before they start talking to a salesperson, unless you get to them before they start doing the research and you help them understand it and then they trust you in making the decision. So yes, it has to be a good fit. Yes, it has to be the right solution, but people matter. People always matter. And I have customers that they have a two or three year sales cycle. That relationship matters over that time. And if you let that relationship go and don't pay attention to it, somebody else is gonna go make a relationship and when it's time to make the decision, somebody else is gonna be in there. So yes, it matters. You matter as an owner, as a salesperson, anybody, you matter. How people feel about you matters. You need to be kind and curious and compassionate and all of those things, they, it matters. Spoken beautifully. Liz, if, if, imagine you're gonna give a micro workshop here and you're gonna teach me something about selling. Okay, so what I would teach you is how to manage your funnel. So the funnel is sometimes called the pipeline. A lot of people call it a pipeline. I call it a funnel because a pipeline means you turn the faucet on, the water comes out, you turn the faucet off, it stops. Well, the only thing that's true about that in sales is that when you turn the faucet off, it stops. But everything else about it is not true because what happens in sales is it's shaped like a funnel. There's a reason we use that word, right? So you have to have a lot more conversations, prospecting conversations at the top of the funnel than you have things that close at the bottom. It's not a straight line. You don't talk to a person, close, talk to a person, close. And if somebody tells you they're doing that, it means they're not telling you about all of the other work that happens. So I may have to talk to 10 people early on about my product and see if I can get them to have a conversation with me and then qualify that person and see if it's really a good fit and then work on the solution for one to come out the bottom. So there's ratios that matter as you're going through the sales process. And what we need to understand is leads are supposed to fall out of the funnel, right? If it's not qualified, it falls out. If they're not ready to buy, it falls out and comes back in later. We want stuff to fall away so that we can focus on the stuff that matters. So if that's the truth, how do you manage your sales work and your priorities? Well, first of all, our first priority is always to close the work that's ready to close. Close that business because they're ready to buy something. So don't let all of that work you know, go to waste. But then the second thing is, the second priority is prospecting. It is not talking to all the people you already know. It's finding those 10 new leads for the one that came out the bottom. 
there's 10 new opportunities that you're going to pursue. So that means you have to put time in your day every day or every week or every other day or whatever it is to spend that time finding those 10 new leads. And then you've got to keep focusing on them until you can get them to agree to a meeting where you can actually qualify them. So that becomes your third priority, right? And then your fourth priority is developing solutions. Now, if you have a really short sales process and you sell to somebody in a day or two or a week, then that funnel looks a little different, but that means you're prospecting, prospecting, prospecting. Probably half your day every day is spent prospecting because as soon as you close something, you gotta start have a whole bunch more conversations. So it happens really rapidly. But if you have a six month, nine month, two year sales process, that prospecting easily gets lost, right? Because I'm so busy trying to solve and develop solutions and meet, you know, all of these people that I already know that we forget. If you don't put stuff in the top of the funnel, there's not going to be anything to come out in six months. So if I, if I am tracking my leads, my opportunities or my deals, either in a spreadsheet or in my CRM, then I ought to be able to look at it and go, yep, I got, I, I need 20 things to come out the bottom. I got 200 things in the top of the funnel and I'm moving them through slowly and I know this one's going to close in six months and this one's going to close in nine months and that one's going to close in 12 months, right? So that we're actually mapping their journey through our sales process or through our funnel as they're making buying decisions. So that's that's what I would teach you. And I would teach you to set this process up based on stages, not activities. So you were going to say something and then I'll, I'll explain that if you want. No, go ahead. I, I'm taking notes. So here's what happens. Somewhere along the line, somebody decided the stages of the sales process are meeting, demo, proposal, proposal with client, close. What's wrong with that? Well, that is a perfectly fine thing if you sell, if you sell SaaS, software as a service, to a very small company. Then you probably do go through that boop, boop, boop process really quickly. But in honesty, in all honesty, sales, the sales process has to map the buying process. And the buying process isn't meeting, demo, proposal, proposal with client. I could take a long time and I could bounce around in my sales process. So Gartner does it. I don't know if you've ever looked at it, but if you haven't seen it, Gartner has a infographic that shows what the sales process, buying process really looks like. It's by Gartner and it's called the, sell, the real sales process or something like that. And it's like all over the place, forward, backward, upside down, right? That's how sales really goes particularly the more complex it becomes. So if you have your stages as activities, then whether the customer is asking for a budgetary proposal just to get an idea of what it might cost to do this or if they're really ready to buy, they're all sitting in the same place in your funnel. And it doesn't look like a funnel anymore. What's it look like? It looks like a vase or a bubble at the bottom, right? So it's skinny at the top and bubbly at the bottom. Well, that's not a funnel. That's everything stuck with... I sent a proposal, now I'm waiting for something to happen. That's not sales. Sending a proposal and waiting for something to happen is not sales. If that's the one thing you can take away from today, your customer has a buying process. And that buying process is, I'm exploring ideas. I'm trying to narrow down what the possibilities are. Now I'm really working out how is that going to work for me. Now I've got to make a decision, and now I've got to actually make it happen and pay for it. Right? That's how I make a decision as a buyer. I might learn new information that makes me think about something different. I might decide I have budget and then decide I don't have budget or like all kinds of things can happen in my buying process. So if my sales process 
is activity-based, I'm not really mapping the buyer journey. So the buyer journey, if I want to match the seller journey, I'm like, okay, so now I'm prospecting to see who's out there who has problems that I can talk to, then I'm qualifying them. We're figuring out together, is this a possibility? Could this possibly fit? And then we're exploring how this solution will solve their problem together. So I do prospect, qualify, qualify, cultivate, and close. You could call that cultivate developing a solution. You could call it verifying. You could call it pursuing, whatever you want. But this is a time where you're going back and forth. So you have a whole bunch of conversations. There's a whole bunch in the top, right? And then you qualify and you figure out these aren't going to buy for six years. These aren't going to, this one, okay, these are a good fit. These, I talked to 10, seven are a good fit. Okay, now out of those seven, as we start to work on the solution, we realize, yeah, three of those aren't really going to be able to buy this, right? And then we get to the point where we come to a solution that they want to buy and then we close it. So now if they go move backward and they're like, wait, I just found out this new thing that I didn't realize. Now we have to go back to qualifying. Does that mean they can still fit in our solution? Even though I gave them a proposal, they're not ready to close. They're still way up in making, figuring out whether or not this is a fit. Right. So when we make it activity based instead of stage based, which matches the buyer journey, we get garbage in and we can't figure out what's really going to close because we have everything in that last stage of proposal with client instead of I'm helping you figure out if this works or not. I'm helping you develop a solution. Okay, now we've developed one. We've agreed. We've agreed on the price. Can you buy it? Can you pay for it? Can't right. There, that, anyway, it may sound like it's nitpicky, but it's huge when you're managing the data. Yeah, no, details matter. One, one thing that I want to ask you before we say goodbye, Liz, is what are some of the resources, right? We talked a lot about strategy. We talked about vision, mission, focus. We talked about methodology. We talked frameworks. We talked about a lot. But oftentimes I've found that sometimes it's the, the platforms or the tools that, that we're using that could almost be a hurdle to the process. I think I have a hint that you use Zoho, but talk about some of the, the tools that you use in your operating system and that you're seeing clients use. Yeah. So for my business, I do use Zoho, but I am not, I'm agnostic. The one thing that I would say is that for most people who have never used a CRM before, Salesforce is a mistake. So it's too complicated, it's too busy, there's too much to it. Pick something very simple like Sugar or Pipedrive or Zoho that is very simple and you can manage. Start with a spreadsheet before, so you know how you wanna build out your CRM. But, but there's other things that, that are important. So as you start thinking about the sales process, how do the things fit together? Somebody has to be, a proposal has to be written and it has to be tracked and you have to know somewhere that you actually sent that proposal. An invoice has to be created. There are articles that might be needed. So how does your blog, how, you know, where do the salespeople get the timelines and the blogs and the infographics that they need to talk to your salespeople, where are, to their clients, where are they? Are they easy to find? How do I put this proposal together? What tools do I need to put this proposal together? Is it just something out of my head? Their price sheets or their, like, what is, what's involved in this? You know, all of these different things that the salesperson needs in order to do that job. You need to look at all of those pieces and figure out what tools need to work together to make that happen. If I need cadences, what they call them cadences, they're really emails that go out at certain times. How are those going to be delivered or do I expect the salesperson to remember to do them? What, there's, so there's tons of tools out there um, that can help you put all of these pieces together and move the sales forward 
and then that's really the th- first thing is what is the sales process what are the tools needed how do they work together this doesn't matter which ones you choose but i have one client that i kid you not there are 52 steps to closing a relatively simple sale 52 steps they have to go to this program and go to that program and design this and then get this person's permission and then do this and then go here and then pull this i'm like no one can do that i would quit the first day are you kidding me 52 steps for something that is worth, you know, $20,000 and one person is buying? That's crazy. So thinking about how do we simplify that sales process to the best of our ability and put the tools in place that can help. I, I There are tons of tools. I mean, if you have questions about tools and you want to ask, go to my website, schedule an appointment and I'll answer your questions. But it doesn't matter what tool you use if it's set up not if it's not set up properly, it's worthless. So it's really about the process, it's not about the tool. The tools just help you follow the process. Got it. Spoken like a true expert. Liz Thank you so much for your time. I know I have a couple of pages of, of notes here. I feel like I'm a better salesperson just by having this conversation. So thank you so much for your time. If people want to reach out to you, learn more about what you do and to get those tools and to have a conversation with you, how can they do that? So they can go to my website, which is regardingsales.com. Really easy. Or they can find me on LinkedIn, Liz Hyman. I think I'm the only one, H-E-I-M-A-N. And, and just tell me where you found, how you met me or how, where you heard me. But if you go onto my website, there are articles about all of these things that we talked about. There's spreadsheets. There's a a funnel spreadsheet that you can download and it tells you how to get started and has the stages. It's really easy. So there's tons, there's a whole guide for the sales operating system there. There's a ton of content there. So that would be a good place to start. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again for your time, Liz. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. Go get it. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.